Do you know who's behind your email? What do they fund? Are they building a culture you want to be a part of? This Advent, break up with Big Tech and reboot your email with FIDE. Look us up, F-I-D-E-I. There's a link in the description box below. That's FIDE, how Catholics send email. Most of us knew this was inevitable. The response to the dubia submitted by the Brazilian bishop, as penned by Cardinal Fernandes and signed by Francis, authorizing, we'll say, those confused about the the immutable form of nature of human beings to be baptized and continue in their life, as rather explicitly saying in that document, as well as to allow adoptions in the church that defy previously what the church has always taught on such matters, mostly relating to the James Martin sin, suddenly the church pivoting at the decree of essentially the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith with the authorization of Francis, we knew it was inevitable that there would be responses to this. And on Friday morning, I brought you Archbishop Vigano's response, who apparently he saw the publication of that statement and immediately took to his typewriter or computer and penned his response, which has been available since Friday. Now Cardinal Mueller has a response, and his is to remind people what the church has taught since the beginning on this subject. And in this teaching of his is a simple accusation. There is an accusation in the statement, and it comes towards the end. And the accusation is, the heresies we see today are the fault of cowardly bishops who permit these heresies to thrive. That is an accusation against Cardinal Fernandez and against Francis. Now, Why is he accusing them of this? Because they are fostering heterodoxy. They are fostering heresy. At the very least, they're fostering it, if not outright teaching it, which Cardinal Mueller himself in recent days accused them of as well. I will give you more on the environment of heterodoxy in the church in a later video this week. But for now, that it's worth noting that that is the context of what you're about to hear from Cardinal Mueller. His letter is very clear, and I present it to you here in my usual way, unfortunately, of having to be careful and how about how we talk about such things on this platform to conform with their rules for being able to continue operating on this place. It's their rule. It's their platform. They make the rules. Here is Cardinal Mueller's letter to the faithful correcting this issue that has come from the Vatican. The task of the Roman magisterium, be it directly the popes or mediated by the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, is to faithfully preserve the truth of divine revelation. It is instituted by Christ and works in the Holy Spirit so that the Catholic faithful are protected from all heresies that jeopardize salvation and from any confusion in matters of doctrine and moral life. The dicastery's answers to various questions from a Brazilian bishop, dated November 3, 2023, on the one hand, remind us of generally known truths of the faith, but on the other hand, they also open up to the misunderstanding that there is, after all, room for a coexistence of sin and grace in the Church of God. The Son of God, our Redeemer and the head of the Church, which is his body, has instituted the sacrament of baptism so that all people can attain eternal life through faith in Christ and a life of imitating him. The unconditional love of God frees people from the deadly dominance of sin, which plunges man into misfortune and separates him from God, the source of life. The universal salvific will of God does not say that we only need to confess Jesus as our Lord with our lips 
in order to enter the kingdom of God, while at the same, same time excusing ourselves from the duty to fulfill God's holy and sanctifying will by referring to our human weakness. The simple metaphor, the church is not a customs post, which is intended to say that the Christian must not be measured bureaucratically by the letter of the law, finds its limit where we speak about the grace that leads us to a new life beyond sin and death. The Apostle Paul says that we were all servants to sin before we came to faith in Christ. But now, through baptism in the name of Christ, the Son of God anointed with the Holy Spirit, we have become obedient from the heart to the teaching to which we have been delivered. So we must not sin, because we are no longer subject to the law, but we are subject to grace. Therefore sin shall not dominate your mortal body, and you shall no longer be subject to its desires, as men have who have passed from death to life. The oldest church ordinance written in Rome, around 200 AD, names the criteria for the admission of rejection or even deferral of a person to the catechumenate and to reception of baptism, and demands that all dubious professions, illegal partnerships, and any immoral behavior that are contrary to the life of grace of, of baptism must be abandoned. St. Thomas Aquinas, who is thankfully quoted in the Dicastery's response, gives a differentiated twofold answer to the question of whether sinners can be baptized. 1. Sinners who have personally sinned in the past and under the power of Adam's sin, meaning original and hereditary sin, certainly can be baptized. For baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, which Christ purchased for us through his death on the cross. 2. However, those who, quote, are sinners because they come to baptism with the intention of continuing to sin, and thus resist the holy will of God, cannot be baptized. This is true not only because of the inner contradiction between God's grace towards us, and our sin against God, but also because of the false testimony to the outside, which undermines the credibility of the church's proclamation, because the sacraments are signs of grace that they convey. It is confusing and harmful when the magisterium relies on the terminology of a nihilistic and atheistic anthropology, and thus seems to lend its untruthful content the status of a legitimate theological opinion in the church. Have you not read, Jesus says to the Pharisees, who wanted to set up a trap for him, that in the beginning the Creator created man and woman? In truth, the, the confused of the flesh and those abiding by the James Martin value system and such persons do not actually exist, neither in the order of creaturely nature nor in the grace of the new covenant in Christ. The logic of the Creator of man and the world the two options are sufficient to ensure that the preservation of mankind and to help children flourish and blossom in the family community with their father and mother. As every philosopher and theologian knows, a person is a human being in his spiritual and moral individuality, which relates him directly to God, his creator and redeemer. However, every human person exists in the spiritual, bodily nature and concretely, either as man or woman through the act of creation in which God created him or her, and in the reciprocal relationship of marriage, in the likeness of his eternal goodness and triune love. And just as he created them, God will also raise from the dead every human being in his male or female body, without being irritated by those who, for a lot of money, have subjected themselves to modern procedures, confused through false propaganda, and have voluntarily allowed themselves to be deceived about their identity. Techno-humanism, in all its variations, is a diabolical fiction and a sin against the personal dignity of human beings, even in the form of the topic we're discussing here, and terminologically spruced up as a form of self-determination. The doctrine and practice of the Roman Church clearly prescribes any such sins of the flesh and those who submit themselves to the values of the sins of the flesh. 
and that they should be rejected from the catechumenate and baptism. The pastoral motive that urges us to treat those who sin against the sixth and ninth commandment of the Decalogue as gently and compassionately as possible is praiseworthy only as long as the pastor does not, like a bad doctor, deceive his patient about the seriousness of his illness. That is to say, only when the good shepherd rejoices more with heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous who, in false assessment, have no need to repent. A fundamental distinction must also be made here between the one-time sacrament of baptism, which cancels all previous sins and endows us with the permanent character of being incorporated into the body of Christ, and the repeatable sacrament of penance, which forgives the sins which we have committed after baptism. It is always right, according to the Church's care for salvation, that a child can and should be baptized when his or her Catholic upbringing can be guaranteed by those in responsibility, even also through an exemplary life. However, the Church can leave no doubt about the natural right of a child to grow up with his own parents, or in an emergency with his adoptive parents, who in a moral and legal sense legitimately take their place. Any form of surrogate motherhood or the production of, a ch of, of such beings in a lab to satisfy egoistic desires is, in the Catholic view, a serious violation of the personal dignity of a human being, whom God willed into existence physically and spiritually through his own mother and father in order to call him to be a child of God and eternal life. In connection with the Synod on Synodality, this biblical formulation was often referred to, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, as in the last book of Holy Scripture, faithfulness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The author of the Traditio Apostolica in the Rome of the Apostles, Princes Peter, Peter and Paul, is convinced that building up of the church is brought about by acceptance of the right faith. He concludes his writing that the thought-provoking words worth, worth considering, for if all hear the apostolic tradition, follow it and observe it. No heretic or any other man will be able to lead you astray. For, many, for the many heresies have arisen because the rulers, the bishops, did not want to be instructed in the teachings of the apostles, but acted according to their own judgment and not as was proper. If we have forgotten anything, beloved, God will reveal it to those who are worthy. For he guides the church so that they, she may reach the harbor of his rest. Again, that was Cardinal Mueller correctly teaching and oddly not one time invoking the First Vatican Council or the Second Vatican Council. He usually cites Vatican II quite a lot in his, his public corrections of things going on in Rome. And uncharacteristically, he doesn't do that here one time. But he makes it clear. He actually roots this in the one of the oldest teaching documents in the church that is often just called the Roman Catechism. But it was one of the first catechisms, allegedly from the time of Saints Peter and Paul, depending on which historian you ask. And that's interesting. That's a groundbreaking kind of accusation because remember, the modernists like to tell us that they are just bringing us back to how the early church was and that we should conform to how the early church was in all things. Well, here is Cardinal Mueller's response to that. A teaching document that reminds people that you cannot baptize anyone who, ins will ins who lives a sinful life and will insist on continuing in their sinful life once they're baptized. It goes back to the beginning as reiterated later by St. Thomas Aquinas, whom he also cites here. It's an important letter. I do wonder if it will cause him problems. But then again, as I've asked before, when, he, when I brought to you the news that he was calling Francis a material heretic, I don't know if there is anything they can do to him now, except maybe take a pension from him. And he is a successful enough author that I suspect he'd be fine. So what kind of consequences do you think he could face for now very publicly and repeatedly correcting moves by Francis? Remember, he came out at the end of the synod, the day before the closing mass for the synod on sin, saying, 
that this was a synod meant to essentially make the church accept the James Martin lifestyle. What do you think of that? What kind of consequences do you expect Cardinal Mueller to face for speaking the truth? Because in our time, truth is a rare commodity that's in very short supply. Let me know what you think of this in the comments, please. And hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps as well. The letter published by LifeSite News can be found on their website. Or if you uh, have a hard time navigating LifeSite because of the amount of news they cover sometimes falls off, you can find a link to it in today's show notes at returntotradition.org, which is on your screen, bottom left-hand corner. Again, let me know what you think of this in the comments, please. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.